Let us pray. Father, as we look to your word, we pray that you will speak to us and allow that we will allow your word to instruct us and challenge us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, many people struggle with the whole misery of the Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit? Is it a bird? Because that's what the picture shows. Or is it some kind of a wind? You know, there was this Japanese guy who was a convert. You know, he, he, he became a Christian. He was a convert. And uh, he was strugg struggling to understand Christian theology. So he was in one of his classes and he tells his missionary teacher this. Okay, the concept that he was struggling with with regards to Christian theology was the Trinity, which is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he tells his teacher, he says, and he calls this tree, and on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as honorable. So he says, honorable Father, yes, I can understand that. God, our Father. Honorable Son, yes, I can understand that too. Jesus Christ. But honorable bird, I don't understand at all. See, friends, today, according to the liturgical calendar, it is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost was essentially the day when the Holy Spirit came and the church came into being. And Acts chapter 2, the passage that we are looking at today, narrates to us that whole event. And although the scripture text that was given is just right up to verse 21, but this morning we will actually look at the entire chapter, Acts chapter 2, to truly understand what Pentecost is all about. But before we look at Acts chapter 2, we must understand that the Holy Spirit is a promise from Jesus. You know, when Jesus broke the sad news about his departure, he also promised his disciples this in, in This is not working. Oh, it's, it's here. Okay. Right. He promised us this in John 14, verses 16. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he, ne he neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus tells his disciples that when he leaves, he will not leave them as orphans. When he leaves, the Holy Spirit, who is referred to here in this verse as the counselor, will come. And he will not just come, rather, he will come and be with you and in you. 
In a sense, what Jesus is saying that this Holy Spirit is not a visitor. The Holy Spirit is not a visitor. You see, a visitor comes, you know, spends some time, some time with you, and the visitor will eventually leave and go back to their cost of life. But the Holy Spirit is not a visitor. The Holy Spirit comes and takes permanent residence in our hearts and in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit is a promised, and our Lord Jesus kept his promise. Because if you see in Acts chapter 1, the moment came for Jesus to be ascended into heaven. And he urges, rather, or rather he instructs his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. And he says to them in this verse, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he continues on in verses 8 saying, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. You know, my dear friends, you know, as Jesus leaves and goes back to the Father, he leaves this mandate to his disciples. And this mandate is spelled out very clearly here. You will be my witnesses. And it is also spelled out very clearly in the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? What does Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20 says? Hello, just, just, just look at me like that. What does it say? Huh? <laughs> it's there. I didn't press though. I... <laughs> okay. Right. Therefore, go and make disciples of, nation, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. So this is the mandate. We are to be witness, we are to be a witness, and we are to make disciples. That is the ministry entrusted to all of us, not just the pastors, not just the missionaries, and not just the teachers, but to each one of us. And we can only do this ministry well through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, my dear friends, if you remember our Lord Jesus himself, our Lord Jesus himself, before he even started his ministry, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. He was empowered by the Father to do ministry. And in the same manner, Jesus empowers us with the Holy Spirit. And so as these disciples, they received this mandate and the commission from Jesus, they were instructed to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And that is what Acts 2, Acts chapter 2 is all about. It is, the, it is about come. It is about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the early church came into being. And there are three things 
about the work of the Holy Spirit that I would like to share with all of us based on this passage. The first is the Holy Spirit brings all people together. And when we look at verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. You see, a sense of togetherness is, very is a very crucial element in a church community. Each one of us here in Trinity, for example, we are very different from each other. In, we, are, we are all of the same being, we are all of the same being as in we are human beings. You are a human being and I am a human being. In that sense, we are the same, but we are different. In a sense, our cultures are different, our personalities are different, some are introverted, some are extroverted. Our languages are different. Most of you here speak Hokkien, which I have got no idea what it is. And our family backgrounds are different, our upbringing is different, our traditions are different, our belief system is different, our, the jobs that we do are different, our interests are different, we are different pe people. Yet, God, through the Holy Spirit, brings all people together in spite of all the differences. And it's very interesting to see how this unity happens here in Acts chapter 2. You see, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is marked, or rather it is seen in three ways. Number one, there was this sound of a violent wind that filled the whole house. You see that in verse 2. Number two, the people saw what seemed to be tongues of fire resting on them, something that's visible. Number three, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And as I try to put myself in the scene, I ask myself the question, why weren't these people afraid? Look at how it is described here, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. You see, I may not have experienced, experienced such incidents, but I have seen enough movies which, which tell me that when a violent wind comes, people run into hiding. But here, we don't find them running. And in verse 5, tells us that there were other people staying in Jerusalem as well when this was happening. If you look at verse 5 and 6, it says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in their own language. And utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in his own native language. You see, friends, the gift of speaking in another tongue is given for a purpose. Many people, unfortunately or sadly, equate having that gift as being powerful or as being superior or pious or even holy. 
And the gift of speaking in another tongue is given in the context, you see, to edify another person. It is meant to draw people and point people to God. It is always meant in that way. It is never meant for self-glorification. And that is what we see happening here in Acts chapter 2. The people, when they heard a familiar language being spoken, they came together in bewilderment. They were amazed because these people were not their own kind. And the end of verse 11 tells us the content of what was spoken. It says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our tongues. Friends, it is true, hearing the wonders of God proclaimed in their own language that brought the people together. The church comes into being when people who are different in many ways comes together in unity and in oneness. That can only happen through the working of the Holy Spirit. Moving on secondly, the Holy Spirit convicts and draws all people to God. Now, it's extremely crucial that we understand and know who does the work of convicting. It is not you or me, rather, it is the Holy Spirit. You know, many people get frustrated and discouraged when people whom they are trying to reach out to or share the gospel never responded. But who actually does the work of convicting the human heart? Here in Acts 2, although the visible signs of the Holy Spirit brought the people together, some actually doubted. You see, some were amazed and perplexed, and some, you look at verse 13, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. Now, if I were to apply this into our current context, it would sound something like this. And I'm not sure if you have come across such statements or such phrases, but I have. And I only know how to say it in Cantonese. So maybe you can teach me how to say it in Hokkien after the service. So the statement is like this. The statement is, you know, when, you know whenever you want to share about God or share about God's goodness, or, you know, or like here in Acts chapter 2, you want to talk about the wonders of God, the moment you open your mouth, people will say, what? <laughs> it's something like that, like if I were to connect it. So how do you say it in Hokkien? Huh? Okay, all right, all right, it's that one. So it's, that's how you say it. So I don't know whether you have heard about this statement, but I have always come across this statement. And, and you know, they were say that and they were quickly dismiss. In their mind, they were quickly dismiss what you're saying. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. These people were actually hearing the wonders of God being proclaimed in their own language. 
they could hear it and they could understand the language because it was in their language, and yet some of them chooses to just dismiss it by saying, yeah, they had too much of wine. Okay. I already know it in Cantonese, by the way. Okay. And so we find Peter, so Peter, in response to that, he stands up, he stood up, he addresses the crowd, and he begins to explain to the people, he says in verse 15, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. And he then goes on to explain the prophecy of Joel, which spoke about the coming of God's Spirit upon all people. And then he went on to talk about Jesus. And we find that whole explanation from verses 16 right up to verses 36. 20 verses in total. This super long sermon that Peter stood, stands up and gave. But, and then you look at how they responded. You say, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what moved the people? Suddenly, from Ayah, they had too much of wine. Suddenly, oh, what shall we do? What moved the people? The text tells us that they were cut to the heart. Was it because of Peter's speech? Maybe he spoke very eloquently. Well, he was a fisherman, by the way. Let us not forget that. Friends, it is the work of the Holy Spirit through Peter that brought about conversion in the lives of the people. I cannot stress enough that it is the work of the Holy Spirit that brings about conversion. It convicts and draws people towards Christ-likeness. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, are we open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? We must remember that the work of the Holy Spirit is not merely functional. Let us not reduce the Holy Spirit to merely functional. We do that, you know, you see, we reduce the Holy Spirit to merely functional when we only recognize His presence when we are about to do something. For example, if you are about to lead in the Bible study, we pray for the Holy Spirit to lead us. When we are about to prepare to lead worship in church, we pray for the Holy Spirit to lead us. And I'm also guilty when I want to prepare for sermon, I say, Holy Spirit, please lead me. But what about all other times? But do you know, my dear friends, when, when we lead in a Bible study, when we lead in worship, or when we're doing something for God, the Holy Spirit actually wants to work in you, yourself. You know, Ajit Fernando shares something about D.L. Moody. You know, Ajit Fernando wrote many books. One of the books that he wrote was Jesus Driven Ministry. And in that book, he shares something about D.L. Moody. And he says, once while D.L. Moody was preaching, he saw someone with whom he was not in harmony with in the congregation. And as he was standing here preaching, he saw someone that he is not in harmony with. And he, 
he stopped preaching, he promptly asked the congregation to stand, stand, and he invited them to sing a hymn. And while the people were standing and singing, he made, he went, he made his, made his way down, he went and made peace with the person. So he stopped and made peace with the person. Then he came back to the pulpit, had the people sit down, and he continued on. Now, does that sound scary to you? It sounds scary to me. Lah. You see, when, this is what happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. It somehow has the ability to convict us so deeply that it would push us to want to do what is right. You see, as much as we need the Holy Spirit to do the work of ministry, let us not reduce it to merely functional. We need the Holy Spirit to change our lives as well. And this brings me to our last point. The Holy Spirit changes all people from within. You see, the last portion of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 all the way to 40. Seven speaks about what the church ought to be. Now, if we have to make a list based on this, beginning from verse 44, it says, okay, if you're going to make a list, so number one, all believers were together and they had everything in common. They had everything in common. Then, they sell their possessions and goods and give to anyone who has need. Then, they continued to meet together. They communed together by breaking bread and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And there isn't any sense of hypocrisy in them. Now, isn't that an ideal picture of a church? And if we are sitting here thinking to ourselves, is this even possible? I think it's possible because it actually did happen here in Acts chapter 2. And it's important to note that this early church, this early church in Acts chapter 2, is a church or was a church who emphasized learning. Because if you look at verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Our president, our track president, Reverend Dr. T.J. Kumar, he, he actually wrote a little booklet. It's not a little booklet, it's a book, okay? He wrote, the title of the book that he wrote was Touched by the Word. And in that book, he had a compilation of sermons. And there was this one sermon where he was explaining about this verse. And I quote him, right, from this book that I saw. He says, as he, has, he, as he was explaining this verse, he says that it is as if the Holy Spirit had opened a Bible college to teach disciples and appointed the apostles as the educators. And it is, you know, and we... we we need to note this in the attitude of these disciples towards learning. You see, although these disciples, although they had first-hand experience of Christ, they did not neglect the teachings of the apostles. Although they had been filled with the Holy Spirit, they did not say, ah, now I have the Holy Spirit, ah, I don't need you to teach me. Lah. They did not say that. Because... It is through the Holy Spirit that actually made them want to learn. 
And the reason is because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth, and it is often through people who helps us to understand the Bible. Today, the Apostles' teachings comes to us through the Word of God. Our Bibles, our Bibles. We need to allow the Word of God to instruct us. Our churches need to be instructed by the Word of God. You know, oftentimes when we read the Word of God, we feel inspired. We come away feeling good, and then we just stop there. We cannot stop there. The Word of God is not a feel-good channel. You know, NTV7 has that slogan, right? Feel-good channel. The Word of God is not a feel-good channel. The Word of God needs to instruct us. And although we feel uncomfortable with that, we need to allow that to happen. And when that happens, we open our lives to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our lives will be changed from within. You know, friends, we need to understand that the working of the Holy Spirit, or rather the coming of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is part and parcel of God's redemptive plan. Pentecost is not something that happened separately. It is part of God's grand scheme of His redemption. The coming of Christ, the life and ministry of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension and now the Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit is all part of God's redemptive plan. And therefore, we need to allow God to do a work in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, that we will truly open our lives to the working of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to allow your word to instruct our hearts at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.